What up, world? It's your past first point gunner, Blazer beat writer, Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's show, we're talking Scalabissier's injury, what the Blazers can do to potentially replace him, and then a look back at the Blazers' road trip, a five-gamer that ended with some disappointment, despite one of the brightest spots in an otherwise dark season. But let's start with the news! Scalabissier, who was injured on December 29th against the Los Angeles Lakers, had an MRI that was inconclusive the day after that injury in Los Angeles. Well, earlier this week, the Blazers released the results of his second MRI, and it shows that he has a articular cartilage lesion in his left knee. What does that mean? I don't really know. But the team says that he'll be reevaluated in four weeks, so that's at least a month a, a month more away from Scal. He's already missed six games, and even if he comes back right at that month timeline, he's going to miss a minimum of 18 games. That's a big chunk. He's almost certainly going to miss more than that. Uh, reevaluated does not mean introduced to the lineup. It means they'll they don't the reevaluation date basically means don't ask questions about Scal for a month. This is a bad injury for the Blazers because they're already depleted up front. If you listen to this podcast, you know that. In fact, if even if this is your first time listening to Lockdown Blazers, I'm fairly certain that you're familiar with the team's injury woes this season. Zach Collins went down in Game 3. Pau Gasol called it quits after never recovering from off-season foot surgery. And Yusuf Nurkic was injured back in March. And while I think there is some tendency to group Yusuf Nurkic in with the Blazers' injury woes, I kind of think they already knew about that when heading into the season. And I think it's a little disingenuous to say he's he's certainly part of the injury list. But I don't know if he's part of this year's injury concerns. I feel like he's part of last year's injury concerns. But in any case, without parsing, without getting too pedantic on when Nurk got injured, Scalabasier's injury is a big deal. He's averaging like 6-5, and 5.8 points, 5.1 rebounds in 17 minutes a night. But really, the problem is that the Blazers just don't have anyone else to fill the backup center spot. In fact, it is now officially official. Anthony Tolliver, the 34-year-old journeyman power forward, is a backup center in the NBA. And it's not like the Blazers have options beyond Tolliver, who is not a good choice to play center. Who else would you put there? Nazir Little? 6'6", 19-year-old? Carmelo, who I think more people would rather play three than five if we're moving in positions? Moses Brown, who just looks slow and lost out there, a two-way player who's with the Texas Legends right now? It's... The Blazers had... a. Uh, very thin front line when the year began. The roster was built with very few options along the front line. Signing 39-year-old Pau Gasol coming off foot surgery didn't exactly help that lack of depth. And then they suffered injuries that they absolutely couldn't recover from. Rodney Hood was going to play some minutes at some serious minutes at power forward this year before his Achilles injury cost him the season. What the Blazers have had to do since Scal went down on December 29th is bump up Hassan Whiteside's minutes. On the year, he's averaging about 29.9 a night, but in the games since Scal's gone down, he's played 
almost 35 minutes a night. That's basically three minutes a half extra where you're stretching Hassan Whiteside. Six extra minutes for the game where you're stretching Whiteside. And where it really gets exacerbated isn't just playing Whiteside extra minutes. I think he's better at that 30-minute mark because uh, I think he tends to get gassed and maybe taken advantage of a little bit when he's tired at the end of quarters and things like that. But I don't really think that's a big deal. Uh, Whiteside hasn't been very good for the Blazers this year, but he's certainly not the issue in this in this case. The issue is that without Scal or Whiteside on the floor, the Blazers are going to get absolutely destroyed on the glass. On the season, with when Hassan Whiteside and Scalabissier are out of the game, the Blazers are grabbing 40% of the available rebounds. That's a 40% total rebound percentage, meaning their opponents grab 60% of all available rebounds. When Hassan sits and Scal is out... That's horrific. That would not only be the worst rebounding percentage in the NBA, it would be the worst rebounding percentage in the NBA by a mile. The Blazers with this current roster transform from a pretty bad rebounding team to a historically woeful rebounding team. Scalabissier's injury is... It's messy. You knew when he went down that it didn't look good. He had to foul to get himself out of the game. I think this is... This is good news for Scal's sort of long-term outlook, right? Like, this this doesn't sound like he's going to need to have surgery. It's something that maybe he can just rest and, and get back and be available, if not at the end of this season, then uh, shortly in the offseason. That won't, that won't jeopardize his career in any way. This this is good news, I think. But it's good news for Scal this year, the, the human. Like, the, it's good news for him as a person. It's, it's not... There's, it's hard for me to spin it as good news for the Blazers. Scal was not a super productive player for this team. He's not a physical enough defender to really make a difference. He's not a good rebounder, even when he's on the court. Certainly better than their other options just because of his size. But he's not, a, he's not a dominant rebounder. He didn't help them too much. The experiment with him and Hassan Whiteside uh, was moderately effective against really specific lineups, but not particularly... Um, powerful, and we never and we never really got to see it get tested in, in enough minutes against enough big teams to really give it a chance. But they were already so thin up front that losing him has totally compromised what they're able to do. They're in trouble. And in the second segment, I want to talk about what they can potentially do to get out of this trouble. What are the solutions now? The obvious ones we know. We know who's on the roster, but what else could the Blazers possibly do to pull themselves out of it, and how might they approach it for the remainder of the season? But before we get there, I want to tell you guys about my bookie. Are you the type of fan that knows hoops so well you could choose any game and call it? Well, my bookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between the NFL playoffs, the NBA regular season, and the college basketball season now in full swing, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with my bookie. If you're the kind of person who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple big favorites this week, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and go to mybookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win. If you join right now, 
my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use the promo code LOCKEDONMBA to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code LOCKEDONMBA to take advantage of MyBookie's generous sign-up offer. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, in the first segment, we talk Scalabus year's injury, the nuts and bolts. We know who can replace him. You play Hassan Whiteside 35 or 38 minutes a night, depending on his foul trouble and wind. You try to steal some minutes with Anthony Tolliver at center, and you just hope that you can score enough points to bail out a team that cannot rebound and cannot really defend inside when Whiteside isn't on the court. There aren't any other options on the roster. Some of that is 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 bad injury luck. The Zach Collins injury just looms so large. Some of that is just terrible roster construction. I'll just say irresponsible roster construction. You kind of you kind of knew this would this could happen. These are definitely options. You start with only three bigs on the roster, healthy bigs when the season starts. There's a chance you could find yourself in this place. So the Blazers have to do something, right? And why I say that is because earlier this week, Chris Haynes was on NBC Sports National Podcast with Tom Haverstrow, and he said that he believes the Blazers are going to make a trade, and be, and which is kind of old news. Uh, if you listen to this podcast, we've been talking about the Blazers' desperation to do something with this roster for weeks, and the sort of informed opinion that this that something something capital S will happen, or at least they'll try to make something happen. But what Chris Haynes said next, I think, is important. He said, Damian Lillard did not sign up for this. And I'd like to make two points about what Damian Lillard may or may not have signed up for. One, I think Haynes knows Dame as well as anyone in the media, and I don't think because of their relationship, sort of media to star player type thing, I don't think Haynes was talking out of turn, and I don't think he would intentionally misrepresent the way Damian Lillard feels because they they go back. They have a relationship. Uh, Haynes is, is a guy who is plugged in, and uh, he wouldn't um, talk out of turn. So if he says Dame feels like he didn't sign up for this, I believe that to be the case. Second, Dame signed up for this. I mean, specifically, implicitly and explicitly. One, he signed a designated player extension to stay with the Blazers for up until his 35th birthday. That's, you know, basically his entire prime playing career. It's as long as plenty of guys stay in the league that he literally signed a piece of paper to be here. Two, he was a, Damon Lillard was a major proponent of signing Hassan Whiteside. Of trading, excuse me, trading for Hassan Whiteside, acquiring him. He signed up for it. This is what he signed up for. I don't think this is how he wanted this to go. But he definitely signed up for it, y'all. In any case, now that we've parsed that viral soundbite, what can the Blazers do? And more importantly, why haven't they done it? What is happening in Blazerland that they are sitting around and watching this team stink. I can't get it out of my mind that there is now, as the Blazers have the most expensive roster in the league, and there are tax penalties that come with being the most expensive roster in the league, and even with an open roster spot, and 
the designated player exception to signs to sign a player to more than the minimum if they so chose they have chosen not to exercise either one either sign a player to a minimum contract or use that designated player exception to sign a player to a slightly more expensive contract I think there has to be cap-motivated reasons for them not making a move. It is hard for me me to sit here. The further we get away, now knowing that Scal is going to be out a month, you got to assume the Blazers have probably known this for a couple days, that he was going to be out an extended period, even if they hadn't determined exactly the timeline. You know, he's been out since December 29th. I'm recording this episode on January 9th. We're talking almost two full weeks. They had to know he was going to be out a long time. They already announced that he was going to miss this road trip ahead of time. That's basically 10 days. They had an opportunity to sign someone to a 10-day contract. Now, there are tax implications that come with a 10-day contract. But if you are the type of team that says, we don't care about money, money has never been an issue, we want to make put, down, put together the most competitive products we can, you're a team that talked about championships in the fall, you don't sit around and let this team be this bad. So who could they sign? There's some obvious names out there. Amir Johnson, Greg Monroe, Tyler Zeller, Epe Udo, Marquise Chris. There are probably some other names Deontay Davis in the D in the D League right now, G League right now. There's there's probably some other seven footers that I don't really know about because I don't follow the minor leagues that closely. There's probably some seven footers from college recently that I don't know about because I don't follow college basketball that closely. But there are certainly seven footers that could have signed a 10-day contract and at least been seven feet tall on the Blazers this week. So what the Blazers do is obvious. You don't need to sign someone to a non-guaranteed deal for the remainder of the season. Signing someone to a 10-day deal, you can sign a guy to two 10 days back-to-back to give you short-term help while you wait for the trade deadline and maybe make a trade is the responsible thing to do if you are serious about winning and being good. The public signals this team sends suggest that they are serious about winning and being good when they... When members of their front office speak to the media, those are the things they say. But in practice, that is not what is happening with this team. And quite frankly, you have to think it is financially motivated. You just, there is just no way that there isn't a financial element that factors into the decision making that says, you know what, this team stinks. A 10-day contract can't help us enough to make a difference. Why would we pay the extra tax money to be slightly better than bad? Now, frankly, I think that's a mistake. I think you can still be a playoff-type team. I think it means something to Damian Lillard to make the playoffs. He's made it every year since his rookie season. I think that the Blazers in general have treat guys the right way. It's why they signed CJ McCollum to an extension early. You just you, They just do things to make sure their players feel like they're being treated the right way. Well, quite frankly, sending a team out there with only one healthy center is not treating your players the right way. So the obvious thing you can do is take a flyer on a guy on 10 days, on a 10-day deal. And maybe they'll do that. Maybe by the time I finish recording this episode, they will have done that, and this little rant will look stupid. 
But if they don't, and you're listening to this, and they still have an open roster spot, and they still have the designated player exception that maybe they're waiting to use in the buyout market or whatever, you got to think that there are financial reasons that the ownership group has decided they don't want to spend more money on a bad product. That's just the hard truth. Third segment, I want to come back and talk about the Blazers road trip. That a five-game road trip that had a chance to go three and two, it ended poorly, ended up going two and three. I want to talk about the one of the bright spots of the season and how it ended on a really sour note. All right, still locked on Blazers, still past first point guard, still Mike Richmond. We talked about Scalabissier's injury. We talked about the why the Blazers maybe haven't done something to address the hole his injury has left on the roster, the shortcomings their front line has displayed. I want to talk about stuff that happened on the court. On Tuesday night against the Toronto Raptors, the Blazers had what I would say is their best win of the season. If it's not their best win of the season, it is, at worst, their second best win of the season. It would rank, if you want to really rank them, just behind the win at Dallas in Game 3. That, remind you, was the night that Zach Collins got hurt. That's a long time ago and just a different flavor of roster. So I'm going to say... On Tuesday night, in Toronto, down nine entering the fourth quarter, closing the game on a 13-4 run, Damian Lowe hits a 35-footer to tie it, Carmelo Anthony cans a 15-footer to win it with three seconds left. The Blazers get a turnover in the closing seconds, force a missed shot at the buzzer, earn their, I'm going to call it, their best win of the year. Sure, the Raptors were without Pascal Siakam and Marc Gasol and Fred Van Vliet. But shorthanded as they were, that's a tough place to play. The Blazers have traditionally struggled in Toronto against all flavors of Raptors teams. The Raptors are just tough as nails. They're one of the best defensive teams in the league. They made it tough on the Blazers through the first three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, Damian Lillard looked like the best player on the court because he was. He drugged the Blazers back from the brink. Carmelo delivered in crunch time. Hassan Whiteside had another big night in the box score. And the Blazers earned their best win of the year in Game 4 of the road trip to pull even 2-2, two and two, a brutal loss at New York to start the trip, a squeaking by a very undermanned Wizards team, a loss to the Heat where the Blazers didn't have C.J. McCollum and the Heat didn't have Jimmy Butler, and the Blazers got, got kind of manhandled by a, a very good Miami Heat team. I, don't, I didn't think that loss was a big deal. You come, you get a huge win in Toronto. You have a chance to go 3-2, and two, to move back within a half game of the eighth seed in the West, put yourself in good position coming home, and the Blazers got absolutely trampled by the Minnesota Timberwolves on Thursday night. Finish the road trip at 2-3. and three. I think... Going deep into what went wrong here is a little bit too much. The Blazers shot terribly from the field. Dame had a terrible shooting night. CJ and Carmelo didn't shoot particularly well. Hassan Whiteside, he was fine in the box score, but he just he's the kind of guy he needs help um, to have a really, really monster offensive game, and he didn't get a lot of help. He did hit a three-pointer and a couple mid-range jumpers. 
but the offense was clunky as heck, and the defense just could not stop the Timberwolves to save them. T-Wolves shot almost 60% from the field over the final three quarters. Just dominated the Blazers in the second half. Wolves without Carl Anthony Towns. But it didn't matter. Minnesota rolled over the Blazers. And... I think this is a bigger deal not because of what happened on Thursday night. End of a road trip, these things happen long, you know, you in a normal season losing a bad game in the five game of a fifth game of a five game trip isn't that bad, but the Blazers four of their next five are against playoff teams, the Bucks, the best team in the NBA, they host on Saturday, then the Rockets, Mavericks and Thunder with basically a must-win game against the Hornets on Monday night at home sandwiched in there. This game is more important because the Blazers' schedule was basically not incredibly easy, but they had a softer part of their schedule basically up until this game Thursday night against the T-Wolves, and then it gets really hard. We're still about five full weeks, almost six weeks away from the the All-Star break. The Blazers are in danger of having the season be over by the time they get there. Traditionally, they have made a big push in these in these not maybe not traditionally like in the history of the franchise, but they have had some seasons not the last two, but the two prior to that where they were bad at the beginning of the year and they kind of figured it out in the middle of January and made a big push in March and April got themselves into the playoff picture. But you can't do that if you don't take advantage of these type of games of the of against a team that's right next to you in the standings, missing their best player. You got to figure out a way to beat these bad teams. This was a huge missed opportunity, and it stings more because it. I'm not someone who really believes in momentum, but coming off a, a game where they kind of showed their formula, Dame is really good. The offense plays really well down the stretch after they kind of keep it close. Couldn't keep it close in this one. Couldn't let their firepower be even involved. None of the starters played in the final quarter. If you're looking for a silver lining, Jalen Horde did some stuff down the stretch. Probably his easily his best stretch of real NBA play in a game that was a complete blowout. So there you go. Silver lining. Jalen Horde, two-way player, did some stuff. But this was a brutal missed opportunity. Made worse by how tough the schedule is about to get over the next week. I don't know that the Blazers can dig out of this. I still think they can somehow end up eighth. I still think this can be a playoff team. I just don't think you can set your sights that high for this team because they have shown who they are. The roster has obvious flaws. And there's a chance that the decision makers running this team don't have a ton of interest in approving it in the short term. This was going to be a positive podcast. The Blazers were going to have won three of five on a trip, two in a row, heading into a really tough game. Instead, it turned into kind of a dark one. But can't control the outcome of these games. I can only talk about them afterwards. Try to process them with you. I appreciate you listening. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it. They can find it where they already get podcasts. That's on Google and Apple, Stitcher and Spotify. I appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.